Don Durham, and welcome to Patent Pod. The Pennsylvania Training and Technical Assistance Network, Patent, provides a full array of professional development and technical assistance targeted to improving student results. Initiatives focus on both high incidence and low incidence disabilities. Joining Patent Pod today is educational consultant Amiris Tapuglia, state lead for the Autism Initiative. Amiris, thank you so much for joining Patent Pod. Welcome. My pleasure to be here, Don. Maris, let's start off by thinking about that training and technical assistance provided by Patent to schools and teams. When we think about that work, it's really focused on a very comprehensive approach for students with the autism spectrum disorder. Can you help us understand what does that comprehensive approach look like? Absolutely. So one of the things we need to do, of course, when we're looking at a comprehensive approach to any group of individuals is making sure that we're addressing the instructional needs across a full range of instructional levels, developmental grade levels, as well as functioning levels. So one of the things we understand about autism spectrum disorder is that there are core characteristic deficits or challenges they present with, which include social communicative deficits as well as stereotype repetitive or restrictive behavior patterns. So as with any instructional model that is effective, what we do to address then the core needs is use a systematic integrated system of instruction. And that parts from ensuring that teams are looking at starting with assessments that are allowing the analysis and assessment of these specific core deficits, primarily that social communicative area. From that assessment, selecting instructional programs and specific targets that are sequential within those programs, as well as ensuring they have then an organization of their environment and instructional materials to teach those skill sets that are necessary, having instructional procedures on how to teach those elements, systematic training on those procedures of staff so that they can implement them correctly, and having data systems that are going to allow them to monitor then the progress students are making based on those programmatic needs. And finally, having fidelity checks and feedback for staff on their implementation and knowing that all of these components were going to lead teams to implement them in a way that are going to establish skill sets for the students that are going to lead to accessing meaningful engagement and as independently as possible, their school environment, home environment and community environments. You know, Miris, when I, when I heard you kind of going through those, uh, that very comprehensive look, I heard a lot about being a systematic, integrated approach, starting from the assessment and the data collection piece, identifying those instructional programs, those targets, ensuring that the environment is organized in a way that is successful for our students, thinking about the uh, monitoring and the collecting of data to make sure we are making the appropriate and necessary gains and doing all of this with fidelity, which involves, as you had said, kind of that training and professional learning opportunity for all those involved to ensure we are delivering what we say we're delivering. Am I capturing all that correctly? Absolutely. When we think about this, so, you know, I want to kind of start from the very beginning. When a school or a teacher, a team invites in a patent consultant looking for some additional supports and technical assistance and training opportunities, what are the steps taken to offer those supports and services to not only the teacher and the school, but as well to the students? Sure. So we have developed over the years, it has been refined what we call our site review tool. This tool is 
basically an assessment or fidelity check of sorts that allows us to assess all the critical components of effective instruction that need to be in place in a classroom. So again, it includes all the organizational elements, the elements related to the consultation and training components. So how are we establishing systems that allow staff to have access to the training, ongoing training and support they need? That includes each LEA that receives supports identifying an internal coach. It could be one or more people that would train alongside and basically develop the skills to then be able to serve as the folks who, while when we're not in the classrooms, they're able to go in, follow up with the team, train new staff, and basically then eventually spread the wealth within their district. So it's to build internal capacity. Then the tool also includes instructional elements that also have specific instructional procedures on how the skill sets that are commonly addressed with students with autism spectrum disorder or autistic individuals, depending on, you know, some prefer to be called one way, others another, would need. So very specific procedures on all these core instructional areas. Some of those areas include, for example, communicating wants and needs, learning to talk about things in their environment, conversational skills, other social skills, group instruction. So there's an, an array of, of instructional um, areas. And then also what many struggle with, especially today, which includes the behavior management component. So how do teams address challenging behavior, especially guiding teams to focus on the components of prevention and instruction of the skills that are necessary so students don't have to engage in problem behavior. The tendency is to want to know what to do when problem behavior occurs. Our primary focus is what do we do so problem behavior does not occur and so we teach them the skills they need. Now that site review tool has allow, allowed us to identify what general areas of need are in our school settings. So it has guided our training plan, and then we have an offering of an initial basic training that is competency-based, where we instruct the participants, which are school teams primarily, and it is important to say that those school teams include parents as well and caregivers. So we have open invitation, family, caregivers, parents always have VIP seatings at our training, because we know how important it is that they are informed so they can make good decisions with their teams for their children. So at that training, we instruct them on all the basic principles that guide effective instruction for these students, as well as show them how to teach and have them actually practice. So it's a training that includes modeling of procedures. We then individually check each participant so they can leave that training with being able to take back to their classroom and implement not to perfection, but at least implement some. That is then followed up with on-site consultation, training, and technical support, where consultants will go in, they will model procedures for staff. So we will actually use students as examples to show them how to, um, how to implement the protocols. We then provide guided practice. So we have them practice, take fidelity checks on what they are doing and provide them with objective feedback in the moment, and then leave them documentation and provide them with all the resources they would need to implement the program. So while we are not part of IEP teams and we would never say to staff, this is what you need to do. What we will say is 
with students who have this profile or in this situation, what we would recommend is the following. And then it's ultimately up to the IEP team, whether they follow the recommendations or they decide to implement any specific programs that we may be recommending. You know, Amiris, I want to I pull out a couple of key pieces that you really talked about here. You started with really establishing a system. This is a systems level approach to ensuring success for our students. You talked about the need for building capacity internally for when Patton or our IU partners are not present in the school buildings and the LEAs. You talked about those instructional elements. You talked about communication, behavior management. And I wanna just stop here for a moment and think about that behavior management piece. You really kind of spoke to looking at prevention and instruction rather than looking at something after it occurs and saying, oh no, now how do we deal with this? Really it's a matter of providing those tools and the necessary skills to not get to the point where we need to now remediate some less than desirable behaviors. Am I understanding correctly? That is absolutely correct, Don. And what I just mentioned is just our basic core of what we provide, because then we also have additional trainings to follow up that guide teachers on how to know what to teach when, how to build component skills, teach in a sequence that allows students to establish those strong skill sets that are going to allow them to then learn skills on their own. That's a, a big misconception that, you know, students with autism need to be taught specifically every single skill. That is not the case when one programs in a way that allows them to develop the skill sets that then allow them to learn on their own. So we also have follow-up trainings aside from our initial training. And then through the National Autism Conference offerings, we also provide ongoing professional development and access to the most recent research and evidence-based practices that will benefit these students the most. Oh man, just that initial opportunity for learning. And you had highlighted parents and caregivers. They are VIPs at these opportunities. I think that's lovely. And, and thinking about you really offering then kind of that follow-up to that on-site classroom, classroom time is really that shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder coaching. And then with the follow-up and continuing with professional learning opportunities to bring in the most recent research, to continue to have conversations around evidence-based practices, I think really kind of pulls together this entire system that we've been highlighting. Now, I want to just kind of pivot just for a little bit you did talk about building internal capacity with ensuring that there's one or more coaches at the LEA level to continue the work and the progress that's happening. When we think about the critical elements of building internal capacity, I want, to, I want you to talk to those elements, but I also want you to speak to us about how building that capacity really enhances what your team is able to offer to students, to teachers, to families. Absolutely. So the critical aspect of the internal coach role is that what we follow with these internal coaches is a behavior skill training model, which is sort of informally described um, earlier. And what that behavior skill training model entails is that all internal coaches who train with us don't just get didactic instruction of what classrooms should be implementing, but they actually sit in the chair, implement with students. We provide them with feedback on their implementation because if one is intending to train staff or teach staff what to do, then one should be able to sit in the chair and say, watch, let me show you. We provide them with feedback and then continue to make decisions on what other training needs staff may have. So that model of internal coach, we have four basic components to it. One, ongoing training and support for staff. Second, 
the aspect of are they able to model procedures and provide guided practice and give feedback to staff? Third, are they able to collect data on staff behavior? Just like we assess student performance, can they assess staff performance? Because that's what will allow them to provide them with effective feedback. And lastly, do they have systems to provide the staff with documentation of what they are to do and or the resources that go with it. So if they tell a teacher, I want you to use, let's say, X procedure to teach X skill, do they have the step-by-step -step on those procedures that they've been able to leave to the staff? What are the benefits of this? That even though we have a systematic model that is based on the science of applied behavior analysis and effective instruction, this is not exclusive to autism. Applied behavior analysis has become popular with autism, but it is a science, it's not a methodology that basically just looks at human behavior and uses procedures that are derived from scientific principles that allow you to change behavior for the betterment of that individual, their family, society as a whole. So in reality, this is an effective model for anyone, it doesn't even have to be a student with disabilities. And what has happened is that internal coaches that have really reached capacity have realized and been able to now also implement what they have learned in these classrooms, not only to other classrooms of other categorizations, such as life skills, MBS, learning support classrooms, emotional support classrooms, but also to school systems, which has been fantastic. Oh, I love that we're talking about all students and how effective this model is for every one of our learners. You talked about, when we talk about building capacity, those critical elements, that ongoing opportunity for training for teachers and staff, being able to model and guide practice, collect staff data to be able to provide that feedback, and then really ensuring there's that system in place. And I, I, I know you segued to this already. I want to kind of push us a little bit farther. When we think about models such as this being really for every student, not just a student who has an exceptional need, what are those practices that are most effective with students? Can you just kind of help us out there? Absolutely. So I'm actually going to start by speaking to effective instruction because I think that's the way it is easiest understood for all. And when we look at an effective instruction model, any effective instructor knows that what the student learns or what they do is a direct result of their teaching. And so anything, whether we have good outcomes or bad outcomes with students, we have to take the responsibility as instructors to say, what am I doing? And if things are going great, fantastic. If they're not going great, then what do I need to change in my instruction to meet the student needs? Now I'm going to pivot to applied behavior analysis. What is it that applied behavior analysis has to offer? We can talk about effective instruction alone. However, effective instruction does not allow us the specifics or the systematicity of being able to assess and analyze what those student responses are under the control of. So when we look at learning, right, learning is the same as doing. You can't say a student knows something unless they can respond in the moment. Otherwise, how do we know they know? So if doing is behavior, that is what behavior is, it's what a person does, then one of the gifts of applied behavior analysis is looking at the environmental factors before and after behavior that behaviors are under the control of and that when they're not occurring or they're occurring if they're challenging behaviors, then what are the things that we can change 
before behavior, which we call antecedents, or after behavior, which we call consequence, that allow us to have an impact on student behavior. It's the same model we use to train our staff. So that's the difference, that then when you understand these principles, which include motivation, meaning what is a value in the moment for the student? So whether I want to teach a behavior, it means I need to ensure that it is a value for the student to respond. But if it's a challenging behavior that's impeding a student from learning, now it becomes knowing what to do to decrease that value so they don't want to engage in the problem behavior. So understanding how to manipulate or arrange these, these basic principles makes a huge difference in your results because now it's not up to let's try this. It's we have specifically what we need to change to get the behavior to happen. So one of the hallmarks that we see often or very common issues with students who have autism spectrum disorders is that their responding doesn't necessarily occur in the same way. They don't learn the same way, <clears throat> excuse me. And they have challenges in terms of responding specifically to the things that come before behavior. Let's say the teacher presents an instruction. I'll give you a simple example, mm -hmm. such as, what do you write to school on? The child might respond with Greenfield Elementary because they hear school, they say the name of the school. They're not really attending to all the things that come before behavior, whereas another child would respond bus. That is not an issue of students with autism having an auditory processing disorder or no. They have not learned to respond to all those antecedents and it's up to us to teach them in a way that they learn to attend to all parts of what's being presented. So that's just one simple example of a very complex learning situation, but that if you understand these principles, then you're basically able to teach anything effectively or more effectively. I love that being more impactful is what we're looking about and being able to understand these principles around effective instruction and applied behavior analysis. It's understanding those principles to know about those environmental factors both before and after a behavior occurs. And as you had said, understanding that applies to all of our learning opportunities, whether that be with students or adults. Am I right? You are absolutely right. And basically not leaving it up to chance. It's not let's try this and see if it sticks. And, you know, that's the way to fail model. It's this is what we know would be the most conservative way to get the, the best results with the most students. So, you know, on the consequence end, one concept or principle that is core in effective instruction is reinforcement systems. But when people talk about reinforcement, if they don't understand what it is, I've heard teachers say, well, we don't believe in reinforcement. I don't, use, I don't like to use reinforcement in my classroom and students become dependent on that. Well, every single one of us as human beings depend on reinforcement. Would we work if we weren't getting paid? I have a passion for what I do, but I also need to make an income. And as much as I would love to be a millionaire to work for free, if I couldn't get that paycheck, then I might not be here today. So because we don't understand what reinforcement is as a process, it's not a thing. 
it is a process by which behavior happens. And if things get better for us after behavior happened, we tend to do it again. So if you know, if, you know, we have these students who have challenges learning, one way we know to get behavior to happen for them is to ensure that when those behaviors occur, they contact the things. So they tend to do it again in the future and that allows them to learn quicker. Furthermore, setting up the circumstances so it is fail-proof or at least as fail-proof as possible. And how do we do that? Meeting them at their right instructional level, teaching from component to composite, from easy to hard. So those are the kind of major challenges that are faced, at least that we see most often in school settings, that often lead then to all the challenging behaviors. You know, you had talked about reinforcement being a process, not a thing. And I think that's something we have to hold on to. It is a process, not a thing. And I'm going back to those principles, understanding the principles of the applied behavior analysis and effective instruction really allows for us to move forward. So, you know, Amiris, this has been very um, helpful in just understanding a little bit more about how your work and your team's work really impact the field when we think about those training and technical assistance opportunities and how we can further the success for all of our students. So thank you so much for being on Patent Pod. We were so excited to be able to have this conversation with you today. Thank you for having me, Dawn. It's, it's exciting for me to share this because I know the impact it can have on, on students, on their families, on our community at whole. And as I always say, you know, my dream is that more and more people become familiar with how much we can do if we do learn these principles and apply them school-wide. Thank you for helping us out with that. Thank you to all of you in the field. You are truly an inspiration to us all. A special thank you to John Ragsdale for producing this podcast. We'll see you next time on Patent Pod.